Well, Dick, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. Welcome into the Victory Bells podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Hey, guys. Oh, big golfs, huh? All right. On Red Raider Sports Radio. Well, see you later. And now, here's Will. Great cash, homie. What's up, everybody? Will McKay here, RedRaiderSports.com, alongside Matt, Claire, and... Uh, Obviously, guys, it is uh, bowl season, and uh, Red Raiders obviously bowling out in the Birmingham Bowl, taking on the 9-2 and South Florida Bulls. And uh, with us today, we brought on Kelly Quinlan, who uh, is part of the uh, Running the Bulls network over there. Those guys help us out on Rivals covering USF. And uh, Kelly, appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, no problem, guys. Absolutely, man. Well, first, man, you know, the first thing I really wanted to, uh, you know, kind of jump in on you is obviously, you know, they went nine and two this year. Uh, had a really good year. Uh, Charlie Strong's first year there. So I guess uh, you know what was it this year that really stuck out about this team and, and just led them to you know to beat nine and two this year. It's interesting because offensively they were pretty dynamic last year with Willie Taggart, who went to Oregon, is now now at Florida State thanks to the carousel. Right. right. Um, you know, last year defensively they stunk. Um, they were terrible and they had to win every game in a shootout. This year was a little bit different. The defense was a little bit better. The offense uh, took a little bit of a step back um, and it kind of cost them in a couple games. Houston in particular uh, was one that you can kind of point to where they, they made some weird decisions in that game. And overall, I, I think it was a good season, but it was a little bit of a disappointment. You had Quentin Flowers, their star quarterback right. as a senior. I think the expectations were really high on Charlie to come in and kind of win the, the conference. And uh, Scott Frost did a great job at Central Florida, and that kind of derailed things for them. And the loss of Houston's really <clears throat> was, an was an additional sort of, uh, I guess, black eye. Because I feel like if they were 10-1, and one, people would feel a little bit better about the way the season went. Right, no doubt. And speaking of uh, Quentin Flowers, you know, I think he's a guy that even for guys like us who've watched him from afar the last couple of years, just just a football player we've loved to watch. And I guess what's been the biggest difference with how, uh, you know, Coach Strong and, uh, uh, you know, the rest of that staff have, have really tried to use him uh, differently this year? I think they've tried to take away some of the, the, the option game stuff from him. And they've gone much more north-south in terms of running. Think about what, uh, you know, Sterling Gilbert did at, at Texas with, with Freeman and some of those guys and the way they ran the ball. It's right. very similar to what they do at, at USF now. So uh, that was a little bit different. They were much more of an east-west kind of um, vertical and then read option game with Willie Taggart. Now it's a little more of a, a, a specific run plays and then some pass stuff. And Quentin's kind of a guy who likes to improvise. I think some of his best plays come that way. They they got a little bit more to towards that in the second half of the season, letting him kind of do his own thing a little bit more. And I think that made a difference kind of down the stretch for them. Yeah, I got you. And uh, the thing I was going to ask, too, is, you know, how was or how, I guess, this has this year been received and how has Coach Strong been received out there, uh, you know, as a guy from, you know, around that part of the world, you know, very familiar with, you know, his days at Florida. I guess with him and, like you said, Coach uh, Coach Gilbert and those guys, how have they been received this year? 
It's been kind of interesting. He went from sort of one extreme to the other. Willie Taggart was Mr. Personality, yeah. Mr. Twitter, all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Charlie is just the complete opposite. He's very, very um, disciplined and organized in the way he does things and very kind of um, almost introverted in a way. Like, kind of buttoned up. Yeah, and so it's a, it's a lot different. It hasn't played as well as I thought it would. I think he's been a little frustrated with the fan support not being super, you know, super this year. They've had some tough luck playing some weird midweek games. Uh, you know, the the one big crossover non-conference game they had against P5 ended up being just a total disaster, which is they played a horrible Illinois team and smoked them uh, the day after a hurricane hit basically the entire area down in Tampa. So uh, it's just been a really weird season. And I think that, um, you know, Charlie Strong struggled a little bit going from Texas where you have a full stadium every weekend, kind of regardless of the product to having 20, maybe 30,000 people at best show up for a game. And I think that's kind of been the big struggle with him is life in the P five is a little bit different than kind of what he imagined or even what they went through at Louisville as they were transitioning when he was there. The thing I was, thing I was or I'll let you, you go, if you got a question, Matt, go ahead. Well, I was just going to jump in there. Uh, Kelly, thanks for joining us. I was, I was going to say on a, on a good day in Austin, 20 to 30,000 people in the stadium actually know what's going on. The, the rest <laughs> are just there to hang out, uh, take a little dig on those guys. But no, I, I mean, I was going to ask you, we're, we appreciate you joining us. We're going to ask you a ton of, uh, questions about uh about south florida but i mean how has the matchup been received for you guys obviously going back to the bowl again is probably kind of redundant but what about the the fans how have they been you know receptive of tech or asking questions you know what what have they said had to say about the matchup i think they were encouraged to play a p5 team that was something that mark harlan the ad was working really hard on that's kind of why they went back to the birmingham bowl they had some other opportunities and they wanted to get a, a matchup where they had a chance to play someone from a major conference versus stay, they could have stayed in Florida and played somewhere. There were a couple other interesting sort of um, optional bowl bowl games they could have played in. But ultimately, when it came down to it, they wanted to play a uh, a real team, like a team like Texas Tech. You know, Charlie Strong had success at Texas against them. Um, it made made a lot of sense on paper, and I think that that was kind of what they were going for. I mean, let's face it, the American has some pretty lousy bowl connections. I right. mean, you have Memphis and, and USF who were two and three in the conference, and they're playing – Memphis is playing uh, – who are they playing? They're Liberty playing uh, Iowa State. Yeah, and, and, you know, USF's playing, you know, an okay Texas Tech team, but – you're playing the back half of each of those conferences with all due respect. And right. that mm-hmm. that's tough on those guys. You win last year, they won, you know, 11 games or won 10 games going to the bowl game and played South Carolina, who was 500 in the SEC. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's sort of the tough spot of this. I think, you know, the bowl people need to kind of re-examine some of this stuff. I think it's kind of stupid to have, some of the weird matchups that you end up with right now um, across the board. And I think it would be more like, think about this wake forest. was playing in the belt bowl this year. They're playing Texas A&M who right. fired their coach. You know, right. mm-hmm. I think it would be more compelling if they played 
a USF or someone like that, like oh, Memphis or someone that had a little more going on that maybe didn't have a coaching change, you know? Sure. I think these lame duck situations are hurting some of these bowl games. I was listening to uh, Feldman and Mandel on their podcast, and they were, uh, I guess there's been some chatter about a, uh, a group of five playoff that, that takes its own form. Uh, I guess that's been talked about. It's just talk. But, I mean, what would, what would your thoughts be on that of just just kind of letting some of these top teams duke it out and see who's really the best? Well, see, I think that's that would make a lot of sense. I think what you could actually do is I think we're moving towards actually an 18 playoff anyways, in terms of the right. the actual major thing, what you do is you set aside a, like two wild card spots or one wild card spot. And you have the four champions play each other or the six champ, whatever it is, you pick several right. teams and you have them play each other to get into that, whether it's, you know, you have maybe one independent and then the Mac and the Conference USA and the Sun Belt and the American. They'll play each other with a chance to get in and play. You know, in this case, it would be maybe they play Clemson in the playoff in the first round as a sort of, you know, one versus whatever matchup. I think that would be interesting for people. I think it would be a way to rethink some of this bowl stuff. Um, there's too many bowl games. I mean, let's be honest, like – does anyone really care about the quick lane bowl with Duke and whoever right. they're playing? Nope. You know, I mean, that that's where we get into this. Th- like, I mean, think about it. There's going to be games on Saturday that no one gives a flip about, you know, yep. like the Gasparilla Motors Bowl and the Boca Raton <laughs> Bowl and the Bahamas Bowl. Well, and you touched on it earlier. I mean, that's why A&M's going to the Belk Bowl again is they know they can rely on X amount of fans, you know, showing up. So it's, it's all a combination of a number of things. But I guess now that we figured out and I've, I've taken us all the way off the road, Will, I'll let you kind of <laughs> get us back to the game. One, one thing I was going to point out, Will, is I know our colleague Maitland kind of published a, a list of the top players from, from South Florida. So maybe we can get into that and, and kind of let our listeners learn a little bit more about maybe some of the guys from the offense and the defense. Yeah, you know, some of the things I really wanted to ask you about, Kelly, was specifically, uh, you know, that defensive line and the sack production seemed like it was really great this year. What was kind of that group look, you know, what was it like to watch that group and and really just kind of who stuck out to you? It's sort of a hodgepodge. Um, You have a couple of seniors. You have Deandre Sinat and Bruce Hector inside. They're kind of – they're guys who are very disruptive and make some plays, and they've had some young guys kind of behind them come in and play a little bit. Then you have Mike Love, uh, one of the defensive end spots, but they bring in different guys. Jawan Brown comes in off the bench, Kirk Livingston. They come in and provide some pass rush. And then one of the best stories on the team is a kid named Greg Reeves, who's one of the starting defensive ends, is a walk-on that just kind of kept playing and playing. They kept him from going to one of the military academies, gave him an opportunity to come here back when Ta- Coach Taggart was here. and. Right. He's had a great season for them, and I think they've just kind of found a way. They've gotten creative with some of the blitzes at times, getting pressure. But that really, they've rotated a lot of guys up front. They've had a, a pretty solid rotation all season, and they've played without some some guys they're kind of expected, and some freshmen have kind of stepped up into that role like Kelvin Pinckney right. that they weren't expecting to even possibly play this year. And I think that production's been pretty good on that side of the ball for them, and for sure. especially on the defensive line. The, th- the thing, too, and, and obviously 
Tech played Houston early on in the year, and obviously you guys played Houston uh, there in the AAC. And I guess the, the question I had for you is, I think for a lot of you know people from Tech who watch that Houston front seven, you know, it's a, a super athletic group that uh, Ed Oliver's the headliner, but I think it's a lot more than him as far as just the, the level of athlete they had in their front seven. Would you say that USF athletically anyway in the front seven is kind of similar to that Houston team? Yeah, I think so. But the difference is, I think they're a little more experienced. So you have yeah. got, I mean, really like, like Sanat, he was a guy who could have gone to probably, had he played his cards a little bit better in his recruiting, could have gone to a Florida state. Like they're the thing that's interesting about USF is they get a lot of these kids that are sort of, um, dropped or screwed around or, or messed up by like mm-hmm. Florida state or a Florida and those kids end up staying home. They have relationships with the staff. So when something weird happens, they come there. Like, uh, you know, Jim Levitt leaves Colorado to go to Oregon, and they get a four-star safety named Craig Watts, who's not even in the two deep right now. But that's kind of the stuff that happens with them, and that's one of the, the kind of fun things for those schools like UCF and USF and um, even Florida Atlantic and FIU with the right coaches. They can win because you get – that plus you get kids that transfer back in. So like one of the top receivers on the teams, Marquez Valdez Scantling, who's a guy who went to NC State, right, you know, right. and then transferred back. Yeah, the, the thing too that I speaking of all that, uh, obviously Coach Taggart, I think is you know a hell of a recruiter by all accounts, and so are those guys on staff and the, you know the the roster he put together there. How have you know Coach Strong and these guys recruited? I think it's an area he's he and these guys on staff are obviously really really familiar with. Yeah, they kind of stepped right in and, and kept most of the class together. They lost some guys actually to Oregon to Coach Taggart. But, right. um, you know, I mean, they have two freshman defensive tackles, true freshman defensive tackles playing, a true freshman corner. Um, some guys on the offensive line could have played this year had had things worked out a little bit better injury-wise for them. They had a, a freshman running back. They've done a really nice job in terms of, of – kind of scrambling and Charles Strong was kind of slow getting his staff put in place when he got here. So they had a lot of catch up to play around that January period last year. And they did a good job with their class, um, kind of scrambling. Um, this year, you know, it's been a little bit better. They, they put together the bulk of their class actually in July, they ended up with, uh, I think there was one week where we had, 18 commit kids commit wow. to USF or something. It was insane. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. Um, and they, and they were all good kids, like kids that are being pursued by, you know, a lot of schools. I know a couple of the kids that are from that, that grouping literally were, you know, at Iowa state and one's going to Washington state this weekend. Just they're getting recruited by these P five schools, but they're able to hold on to a lot of the kids. So if you just hold on to, you know, three quarters of the guys you have committed early that you've targeted and had on your campus and stuff, and you survive sort of that onslaught from the Indianas and Iowa states, whatever you, you can have a pretty good class here. And I think that's what coach strong has done. He has a staff that knows, uh, a lot of Florida guys with, you know, Brian Jean Marie on defense, who's from basically outside of Orlando and Charlie Williams. And those guys do a good job of recruiting the state. He hired guys that know how to recruit Florida on the defensive side of the ball. And then the offense, he has, you know, his, his other guys who came with him from Texas, mm-hmm. except for Sean King. Right. Right. Makes right. sense. Let, you, you touched on something earlier. I'm, I'm just overly fascinated or, you know, 
curious about is is you mentioned you went from Taggart, which was this energetic social media, uh, you know, led coach and and recruiting centric guy to Strong, who was more introverted and and buttoned up, quiet, whatever we want to call it. Um, we that's kind of what you know the younger version, right? Is, is what we have now. I mean, Cliff's tweeted like four times this year. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, and he, and he's very you know very brief. You know, we'll get a smile or a laugh every once in a while, but but very straight to the point. And uh, a lot of a lot of our fans, you know, kind of link that back to his time spent as a, a backup in New England and you know the Belichick thing. That's the easiest explanation. But I mean, some people just have that personality. I don't know. You cover recruiting. I know you, you you do other things in the Rivals Network. What do you think? I mean, obviously, do you have to have the daily tweets and retweets and, and edits and all that to, to truly be successful? Or does it really just kind of matter what's going on on the field? I think you have to have people who do that for you within your staff, whether it's, um, you know, I cover another school, Georgia Tech, that has right. an old crotchety coach, Paul Johnson, who's a <laughs> friend of mine. But you know, Paul, Paul has someone that does Twitter for him. He does some stuff on his own, but he has a guy who hangs out with him that's at practice and stuff. And that guy does a lot of his tweeting and, uh, kids pick up on and stuff and retweet the things that come out, whether it's him congratulating a former players in the NFL or whatever, just having a presence, I think makes a difference. And, mm-hmm. um, I think you have to engage in terms of social media, especially if you're in a power five conference, you need to have cool edits. You need to have a guy, a couple of guys in your office that just work Twitter all day long. And uh, I think that's sort of the new reality of all of this. And it's obviously made all of our jobs harder because you, now you're instead of, you know, when I started doing this, you call a kid and I might get a commitment and sit on a scoop for same. eight hours. Yep, you know? exactly the same. Yep. For, same yep. for us. And now your scoop is four minutes maybe if you're lucky. Maybe, maybe. If yeah, you know, I mean, you catch my favorite tactic actually there is to run something like late at night. So it sits overnight and knowing that people can't call the kid at, at midnight or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's, I don't know. Yeah. Straight, you know? know, man, there's some crazy shit that, that do this stuff. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I, I figured, I figured I would know the opinion. It's just something we, uh, we talk about often. Uh, I don't really have anything else besides maybe asking you a little bit about the, your prediction for the game. I've know we've kept you here, uh, long enough, but, uh, but will you have anything else before we get to the game prediction? Uh, yeah, we can go ahead and get that. But but I think the one final thing I wanted to ask is just from that from an outsider perspective, and I think what some of the conversation in Lubbock has been is how good is this USF team when you know frankly you know they beat one team that's going bowling this year in Temple and they went six and six and the rest of the schedule is kind of teams they beat up on so. Obviously, you know, UCF's a really, really good football team. They competed with right down to the wire. Uh, same with that Houston team is a really good football team. So, I don't know, from your perspective, I mean, how much do you know about how good this USF team is based on the schedule they played? It's hard to tell. It really seems to yeah. depend on if the offense is playing well or not. They've had some games where they did not play particularly well. Tulsa, the second half of that game, um, when they went out to Tulane, they struggled in the second half of that game. I actually think that Tulane team's pretty good that they – they uh, played tightly with, uh, but yeah, the schedule. I mean, East Carolina was god awful. Yeah, Temple took a huge step back. Illinois was awful. San Jose State sucked, but that was out there. Uh, you know, Tulsa was an interesting game, but they're not very good. Uh, so yeah, I mean, even the win at UConn's not great. I think that essentially what you're looking at here is is kind of 
a good gauge of where they're at. I think right. they played UCF really well um, For sure. in, in Orlando two weeks ago. And I think that uh, looking at this game now, I expect a shootout. I expect yeah, – I was joking with somebody. I, we might see 200 plays um, in the Birmingham mm-hmm. Bowl. I mean, you got two teams that can light it up, and um, they're going to run some tempo and – It'll be interesting to see kind of how Quentin Flowers wants to go out. It's his, maybe his last game ever as a quarterback. So I, there's a lot on him. He's got a lot of pride. The kids really play for him and rally for him. So I think that USF has a good chance to win the game if if they can get going on offense and then the defense plays the way they have most of the season. All right. Well, good deal. Well, hey, Kelly, appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much for uh, you know spending you know, 15, 20 minutes with us to break down the Bulls and uh, – Excited to uh, excited to see what we get next weekend. Will Will we got to get oh. the prediction? Oh, we, we got to get, get the, the prediction. prediction. The prediction. All right. All right. We can so get the so a week before the game even pl- is being played, <laughs> what, what do you think, Kelly? Um, I like USF. I, I don't really have a, a strong feeling one way or the other. I would say thirty-five. 28 kind of game maybe um the one sort of x factor which you guys haven't asked me about is special teams which are an abomination south florida they've had uh multiple (laughs) multiple punts blocked uh they lost the ucf game because of a kick return for a touchdown and uh they've had field goal misses and basically i mean it's it's been pretty brutal to watch all year so that's sort of my x factor in this which team is worse on special teams or or shoots themselves in the foot there well you're you're gonna get a treat because they have not been great in uh in lubbock this year either so we may have us one of those those kind of games so yeah um so yeah, I mean, I think I think that's it. Uh, once again, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us, man, and uh, hope we get a good game next weekend. All right, thanks, gentlemen. All right, thanks, appreciate thanks. it. Again, thanks so much to Kelly for uh, coming on with us and uh, spending a couple minutes to discuss the uh, Birmingham Bowl with the USF, uh, the old Bulls, and uh, Matt. I know uh, next weekend, I know you're super pumped about the matchup, right? I am super pumped. <laughs> No, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be there. Uh, but we now know a lot more yes, than we did last week when I bumbled around for like two or three minutes about uh, about the old Bulls. That is true. Bulls, right? It's the yes, Bulls. The Bulls yeah, with a B. Nailed it. With a with with a with a capital B, as they say. So now that we're completely off the rails, um, yeah, I, I guess the thing about this game that I'm interested in, and the thing that I asked Kelly was. I'm just curious about how good this USF team is simply because they, they played UCF, who was really, really damn good, and they played Houston, which I think was also another really good football team. But basically everybody else on the schedule was just kind of you know not that great. So I, I, I'm just curious to see how good they really are. Uh, it's going to be a familiar you know scheme-wise for, for Tech as far as what Texas is going to do defense, do offensively, so I think you like that. Um, but yeah, just curious to see what we get out of this game next weekend and, uh, ready to see, uh, what it is that this tech team is going to do to close out the finale before they do that though. Uh, what these coaching staff has been doing here the last, uh, two weeks and it's still doing now is, uh, out on the road recruiting, trying to finish out this 2018 class and, uh, really trying to get it rolling with some of these 2019 prospects, Matt. And we've had a little bit of movement here in, in the last, uh, last week or so so i guess first let's just kind of talk about uh you you lose jabari james and you lose garland lafrance uh lafrance decommits and 
was an interesting deal where I think that was kind of just a gradual parting of ways. Uh, same thing with Jabari James, where I think that's been in the work for a while now. He commits to Tulsa. So, yeah, just what's kind of your thoughts on, on both those, Matt? Uh, I would say it's, you know, it's so odd these days. I think it's cool that, that we get to cover recruiting, you know, end to end and 24 by seven. But I mean, you look at the situation we have with, uh, with Jabari James. I mean, I posted it today. I mean, this is a kid where, uh, I went to go and watch him play and, and he didn't, he didn't go back onto the, the field of play until, the end of the game. Um, and, and I think he was, we basically found out it was a disciplinary thing. Um, and, and I don't think he's graduating early anymore, but I mean, it was kind of awkward because coach Jones was there too. So, I mean, I'm sure there's more to that story, but it, what I'm saying is he never publicly came out and said, I'm decommitted, uh, which I thought was odd. And then all of a sudden between last night and this morning, he's hosting Tulsa for an in-home visit and he's committed. So, uh, definitely wish the best of luck to him. Very good player. Uh, but I think when you look at James, you look at LaFrance, you look at Valentine, you look at Graves, there may be one or two that I'm, you know, misremembering. Maybe even the Juco receiver that was committed and then ended up with like Myron UAB. Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. It, there's a there's a common thread here is that, you know, obviously coaches are out on the road. They have various open contact periods and they say, hey, this is my guy. You know, maybe things change, you know, not not always for the worst or for the better. I mean, like we talked about, Eli Howard gets an, an extra year of eligibility. OK, well, maybe I don't need to take a, a defensive end this year or uh, multiple. Right. Um, it's not always a bad thing. Or, hey, a kid has behavior issues or, you know, is not going to graduate early. You know, do you still feel the same about him? I uh, know now, you know, the reality is with the early signing period, are they signing early? Are they not? I guess I'm taking the stand so far, and, and not to go off on the on tangent on this, I'm just saying short and sweet, I don't think it should be a negative thing if a kid doesn't sign early, but right. I can see exactly how and why coaches would use that as a, a recruiting tool. So I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of in between there. Uh, but with, um, yeah, with those guys, you know, best of luck to them. It's just curious to me that, you know, we are seeing a new offer Right here and there, we are seeing some new targets, but I think the the concern there is that it's mid December and it's about to be, you know, whether they visit this weekend or not, you know, you're going to have three weekends in January and that's it. So you have to make some moves. And, you know, we've this is why people follow recruiting is for all the craziness. But for the right last now, two months. yeah, for the last yeah. two months of cycle. But right now, I mean, I think we're going to talk about four prospects uh, that that the coaches are actively meeting with and talking to right now. Uh, But I still don't think that you'll see any action until uh, after Christmas and after the new year. Yeah, I don't either. I don't think you're going to see any action because I don't think there's any uh, last second Juco signing that, I mean, maybe we get surprised by something that comes up at the last second, but uh, with Charles Cameron not on the radar anymore, it just didn't seem like there was really any other other than Dorian Gerald, but he'd be a late signee, and I don't know how much you're actually in on him. Uh, so, there's yeah, there's just not really a take right there unless somebody just signs here out of left field uh, that we're not expecting to be a take. So, yeah, I, I guess here with the early signing period, though, Matt, it seems like we've got about ten guys we've confirmed are signing early here. Uh, five of those are early enrollees, and the other five are, you know, just kind of g- g- general guys, and the rest of them... Uh, 
you know, some guys haven't made decisions yet, and some have decided to, to wait till February. So, yeah, let, let's just talk about, you know, these guys who have decided to, to sign early, Matt, and I think the ones that you're obviously the most thrilled about are probably your quarterback, Alan Bowman, uh, your your stud receiver, Eric Ezekonma, and your offensive lineman, Demarcus Marshall. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the highlights. And, you know, I, early enrollees, sure, it's a no-brainer, so I won't take too much time talking about them. But uh, the the early signees, I mean, I'm a big Fulcher fan. I know he doesn't have a lot of the, the ratings hype or anything like that, but he was just a productive player in a uh, DFW, you know, hard of DFW district. So uh, I think that speaks for itself. Um, same thing with Marshall, who you touched on and, and really Franks and Wright, because if you, you look at it another way, a lot of times this is a mechanism for these kids to end the recruitment process. Like Weston Wright and Clayton Franks aren't talking to any other colleges. They're locked in with Texas tech. So if they want to enjoy their holidays and not have to go through any other recruiting stuff in the month of January, then they can do that. Um, the guys who are signed in February, uh, right now that we've uh, that we've confirmed Brumfield, Garner, White, uh, White's in the middle of a playoff run, so I understand yep. why he wouldn't concern himself with that. And we've talked to his head coach. We've got some features coming uh, from Alexa, who's one of our new writers on the site, uh, where we interview the head coaches for each of the commitments, and, and you'll hear from him. But yeah, they're in the middle of a playoff run. Garner, he is at a big program in Mesquite Petite. Their coaches might just want them all to sign in at one time as a team. Um, because I couldn't see any other reason for that. And then the same thing with Brumfield. I mean, I guess my argument is I always advocate for the kids, and if Jaluk and or Coach Scott were to go anywhere, I mean, there's value in those guys waiting to February. Um, right. Not that that's why they're coming to Texas Tech, but it does change the equation a little bit. And on the undecided, Benson doesn't talk to us a lot. Carter's busy with basketball. Um, I'm actually going to see him tonight at the Houston Touchdown Club uh, UIL Awards Ceremony. He's been named one of the top offensive players in the entire Houston region. So, you know, imagine that same thing for a Dallas. Uh, pretty pretty big honor there. So I'll talk to him tonight uh, and hopefully get some more insight on, on his thoughts with the early signing period. Um, and other than that, you know, obviously I think the other guys that are listed are Gabe Douglas and John Scott. We've never talked to John Scott, so not we'll once, keep yeah. trying. Yeah, we'll keep trying not to laugh. It's not, I mean, it's not something we're proud of, but I don't think anybody's ever heard from the guy. No. Um, and then Gabriel Douglas, we've kind of talked about the concerns around him, uh, but same thing, they're in, in the middle of a playoff run. So uh, I, I don't think that's something he's focused on. Yeah, absolutely. I think all, all fair points. And uh, I, I think maybe the – the thing you wonder now is, is, is you're going to have, you know, at least 10 of these guys signed, you know, come this time next week, actually. And then you wonder, I guess, what does your staff do, you know, in the dead period there and then in January, now that you have, you know, basically half your class is locked up and you don't even have to recruit them anymore. Obviously, they'll still talk to those guys and, uh, you know, they can bring them out and, and, and some of your, you know, restrictions kind of come off as far as when you can talk to them. So that helps some, but you can kind of focus on recruiting Devin Brumfield, uh, holding on to him, and 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 we'll you know with Makai Garner and Hakeem White, obviously, and then uh, you know with Sean Carter, Xavier Benson, you can focus on those guys, and then on top of that, uh, I think you can really focus on what few 2018 guys you really want to hammer away at recruiting wise, and then I would guess for this staff, really what they'll mostly do is probably look to 2019, as uh, we saw a new offer went out today. 
Exactly. And before we before we kind of touch on the 2019 stuff, you know, for folks that are seeing, you know, multiple coaches and stuff like that online, maybe from other programs in the state, uh, maybe in central Texas, maybe a, a Big 12 competitor that recently went through a scandalous scandal. Yeah, well, they're not bull eligible. So, you know, with tech, they have to make do with the time that they have, and then they have to get back to the team and continue bowl preparation. So that's why you're not going to see the entire staff stop by Alan Bowman's house or the entire staff stop by South Oak Cliff. Um, You've got Cliff kind of dividing his time between the offensive and the defensive coaches. And in terms of defensive coaches and not really seeing a lot of that on, on Twitter, A, you don't have very many commitments. And B, um, you know, Jameson's been out doing his thing. He's still trying to add guys, I think, right now, more so than he's going to secure, you know, commitments of of Hutchings and things of that nature. I mean, Hutchings is graduating early. He's signing early. He's already done his official. And uh, Jameson and Cliff went to his house. So um, outside of that, there's just – there's just not a lot of action. And, and with Gibbs and Spavadol, they're just not the type to really throw it on social media anyway. So um, I can assure you that that there's efforts being made. I mean, right now it is what it is. We just don't have a lot of public yeah. info on, on who their targets are. I guess that's a, a good a good enough segue to, to maybe talk about these guys. I mean, we, we do know what we know. We can talk about that and, and then maybe curtail that into some of the remaining targets on offense if you want to do that, Will. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, just let's talk about some of the targets like you talked about, Matt, and uh, a couple guys on the defensive side of the ball, I guess, is where I want to start. Uh, Joseph Ogan Banjo is a guy at Baylor. I think there's a little bit of interest in still there. Uh, sounds like he's looking around a bit. I know that you uh, you talked to him a little bit. I did, and, and from a tech standpoint, I think they want to focus on the interior on the defensive right, line. Yep. Uh, but Coach Jamison did stop by when he was in Houston. I'll, I'll put this up and, and write it up on the site in more detail. But essentially, uh, you know, Joey is committed to Baylor is his stance, uh, but he's planning on having the Cal coaches for an in-home visit. And he did mention that Coach Jamison plans on coming back in town to visit with him again. But essentially, they had, you know, expressed their interest, said that he would be a great fit as a rush end and wanted to invite him for an official visit. So as of right now, he does know that he's going to be officially visiting Baylor and Cal. You know, what he does with the other visit, you know, I could certainly see Tech in the mix, but I I think that's going to really stem from that next visit from Coach Jamison. Maybe he brings Coach Gibbs, somebody like that. Fair, fair enough. Uh, And then the next guy we wanted to touch on here is uh, a defensive lineman. Actually, first, let's go to to this. Let's go to Donovan Mutant who uh, is a guy that uh, picked up an offer this week, also picked up a TCU offer, a guy from uh, Klein Oak, a linebacker, who is currently committed to Houston. Uh, sounds like he's trying to kind of figure out what he's going to do. Uh, looks like he's going to visit TCU this weekend. We're trying to get with him. We finally got some some good contact info to get in touch with him, so we're going to do that today. But, uh, yeah, Matt, I think uh, we kind of been wondering, you know, if there was, you know, any anything kind of going on here or – uh, what they were going to do defensively, and here's a uh, linebacker offer for you that uh, I, I guess proves they they might be have some other plans for Xavier Benson as far as as an end or maybe a safety or something, and and, and just curious to see what they do here. Yeah, or or they feel uh, that that they just need the numbers to yeah. to backfill those guys, you know, when and when and if they're done. So I, I don't know. I think that uh, I like these kind of offers. The the downside is as we've point, kind of pointed out on the site is is also 
TCU offered the same day and we're starting, you know, we do have some good contact info now. We're going to try to get with Donovan and get some details. He's committed to Houston. It does look like he's going to visit TCU this weekend. Um, again, that's not confirmed. That's just based on something we've seen reported. Uh, so we're going to talk to him and get more info. But I do like these offers. It reminds me of a Jordan Brooks type uh, where they've really kind of trusted their own um eval if you will and and kind of let it all play out because he does look like that inside linebacker type that they like and at 220 pounds out of high school um he could definitely be similar to a, a brooks and what he does in this defense so jeffers, i'd be very too. jeffers yeah jeffers is a little bigger but but agreed um and and you know i just don't as much as we talk about social media and this that and the other don't forget that spavadol was the recruiting coordinator Uh, Not only currently for Texas Tech in his title, but he was the recruiting coordinator at UH for several years. So his relationships throughout the city and, you know, hopefully a relationship here at Klein Collins, you know, he's been there before. They know who he is. And so uh, the same goes for Coach Gibbs. So we'll get some more details from Donovan, but I like the offer. Um, I think that if you're just looking from a numbers standpoint, uh, DB is low on the priority list. Uh, linebacker just because involved... just because of, of so many you've taken in the last two years, DB wise. Correct, and and guys that are redshirting and and should be available to play. Um, but then you look at linebacker, and and you know they've really systematically added one at a time. So you'd like to see that continue uh, on the inside. That is, and then with defensive line, like I said, there we're going to talk about a a, a potential uh, target here in a minute but but really i mean one to two defensive linemen too i mean we're not expecting a barrage of you know defensive prospects or commitments or anything like that but clearly they're taking a very pointed approach at at linebacker and a defensive line because i mean i guess we could go ahead and dive into it on the defensive line will but i mean we've seen today charles cameron who officially visited has opted for fau uh you've got uh, tito ogbonia who's getting offers now from virginia ucla um, and then you've got uh, Ogan Banjo, who seems like he's still contemplating a visit, but is still committed to Baylor. So you, you, if you look at those from a, a percentages standpoint, I think that they've really pressed or if they really wanted a commitment from from Ogmania, they, they could have gone for that now. And, yeah, and you know, time is time is ticking. I, I think it is true that they moved on from Cameron, whether something happened on an official visit or they just decided to move in a different direction. You know, who knows? Uh, but he's going to FAU, and and I do know that that um, Jameson had originally recruited him while at FAU out of high school. So um, you know maybe he just opted for location and um, you know went there. Who who knows, right? Um, but now I think if if you allow us to go even further back on the on the on the prospects chart, there was a, a young man from Arizona, a defensive tackle who visited back in the spring, Kai Golden. Yeah. And then it just seemed like after that visit and into throughout the summer and into the fall, you know, things really weren't as constant in terms of communication and interest from tech. He eventually committed Air Force, then to now New Mexico State. And he told me as of yesterday that he's talking to Coach Jamison every day. They really wanted him to uh, graduate early, which was why things kind of broke off in the beginning. I guess I don't know if it's an Arizona thing or just with his school. Uh, they don't do that. They the it's kind of similar to what we've heard from Brumfield at his school. They it's hard for them to graduate early. Just because um, of the schedule, yeah. I, I guess so, or how they do the credits. Who knows, right? Um, but that Coach Jamison and some of the other coaches were planning on coming to see him. 
Uh, there are a few other programs that are showing some late interest, but basically he said he's always planning to sign in February anyway. Uh, so maybe when they come back and talk to him, they'll they'll work on scheduling an official visit in January. But but he did take an unofficial with his family, and we had talked to him, you know, back in I think May uh, of last right, year I or, did, or yeah. this year. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll stay in touch with him. But I mean, it's not bare, right? The coverage not bare on that side. I know they're going to check in with guys who they'd previously offered. Um, with all the coaching carousel stuff, maybe they're just waiting to see kind of who lands where and, and who's retained by, by these coaches here, there, and the other. Um, I think it'll be a pretty interesting next week or so. And especially, you know, just because the open period ends doesn't mean they can't call guys and, uh, and still recruit guys. Uh, but I think early into January is going to be very interesting to see how this class rounds out because outside of a couple guys we're going to talk about on the offensive side, everyone's interest and everyone's focus is on this defensive class. And I just think it'll be really interesting to see who ends up on campus, who visits, right? Dorian Gerald, who we talked about defensive end. It, could that be pie in the sky? Who knows? I think it's completely unpredictable with Juco guys um, as to where they end up. So, so you never know. Um, but between Kai Golden and Donovan Mooton, I mean, I, and, and Joseph Ogumbanja, who you'd mentioned, I really think those are your primary targets and anything else will just have to really present itself over these next couple of weeks. Yeah. It, it, and we'll kind of see, like you said, if there's anything that comes up between now and, uh, you know, now in the bowl game, I, I mean, I don't think with this class there's going to be any high school guys that rant that magically pop up other than maybe mutant depending on what happens there uh, won't sign until February so it's not like I don't think you're going to sign anybody out of left field here uh, but I, I, I do think that we're going to see in January some new offers hopefully some new offers uh, some new uh, blood get in there and, and just some different guys and where those could be guys like we said, like Gerald, like uh, like Mooton, or, or anybody else. So whether that be Kai Golden picks up an offer, I know there's a couple of possible targets in the pipeline too on defense. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Jackson Gibbs who's a safety committed to North Texas. I think there's some interest there starting to build up. Uh, nothing like official yet, but I think there's at least some interest there. So yeah, I, I think there's some things going on, but uh, we probably won't know much about the rest of this class until uh until late january whenever they get back out on the road and the open period starts again after uh after the bowl game and after the holidays so the last guy we want to talk about uh one more that's uh an offer that just went out for tech would be uh, a guy from north richland hills that'd be a richland 2019 receiver rashi rice who is a guy that uh we talked to actually i think brandon talked to him earlier in the week and, and i'd gotten in touch with him and I think this kid is a really good receiver, and to get offered this early, I think that says as far as how you know Coach Jones has gone about offering these receivers. I mean, I think it probably says a lot about what he thinks of him to offer him this early. No, it does, and and it's interesting. He his team actually played a playoff game in Lubbock, yeah, uh, and it looked like he found the end zone. But I was uh, I started monitoring the the program because not only that, but the coaches had stopped by. Uh, the the school there in North Richland Hills as well um, to to see him and to check in on some of their guys. Uh, I think they have I don't know at least five or six guys with a profile in that 2019 yeah. class. They got a really good 2018 linebacker committed to A and M uh, with with Texas and and uh, OU breathing down their neck. Um, but all that aside, uh, I think I saw something to where he's six foot three. 
so you add that with another year of high school, I mean, he could he could really become a highly recruited prospect. So to get in early there and to you know have the the fortune of him just being able to go to Lubbock, uh, you know, with his team and play in the stadium, I mean, that's got to be yellow. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry about that, Matt. It cut out on me. I didn't know what the what the deal I, was. Technical I just figured I would stop. I just figured I would stop talking. You know, yes, while I waited. Yes. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I think uh, a, a good to uh, good to get him out here. Even if he, I know he didn't get a chance to visit when he was out here, he and uh, Shamar Johnson's another 2019 receiver from 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 Richland. I know Tex interested in, and there was talks that they might visit whenever they were out here for that game. I don't think that ended up happening, but. Yeah, I think you're about to start seeing a lot of these 2019 offers. I think in January, February, you're going to see a ton go out. I, I That's my assumption anyway. Uh, specifically, I think, uh, with what we're already seeing. So, yeah, lots going on in recruiting right now. Uh, curious to see after next Wednesday when all these guys sign what happens from there. But uh, I guess before we get out of here, Matt, anything else you want to you wanna harp on? Well, I was going to say we focused on the defense. But real quick, today uh, being oh, yeah, Wednesday – no, that's okay. The The coaches are checking in. We reported on this last week, but obviously the, the coaches are coming down to see him today. But uh, Tejon Henry from Houston Lamar, he's a, he's listed as an all-purpose back. So, you know, think uh, Jakeem Grant type in the slot or, uh, you know, who's the who's the guy from West Virginia back in the day who plays for the Rams now. Uh, you know, very, very similar. Sorry, I just kind of threw you on the spot there. But, uh, Tavon Austin. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, th- you know, think that type of player. Um, but we've got him as a 5.7 three star prospect. I know he was kind of uh, nursing an injury this year, but he plays on the fast seven on seven Houston team uh, here in the city and, and really, which is like the best in the state and one of the top in the nation. Very athletic kid that I've gotten a chance to know. Uh, he had Iowa State, uh, Baylor, TCU, A&M kind of in on him there at the end and he chose TCU. Interestingly enough, he backed off the TCU commitment, and I just reached out to him to see kind of what was going on, and he mentioned that Texas Tech is coming to see him. So Coach Joe Luke's interested. He's coming to talk with him today. Um, he is not signing early or doing anything like that or graduating early, so I think this is a kid you'll end up seeing visit in January. I waited to talk to him over the phone because I want to you know, get more details on the meeting from today. So we'll have those up on the side as soon as we can. Um, but he's certainly somebody to watch and, and somebody who, you know, you watch his tape and, and you are familiar with this offense at Tech. I think he could really fit in very well. And then maybe you could talk about Jordan Cooper. He's another kid from down here in yeah. the Houston area, um, a little bit bigger, right? Six foot, 200. We have him listed as an athlete because he plays quarterback for New Caney. But I believe Coach Jaluk, as you report, is talking to him about playing running back at the next level. Yeah, Coach DeLuke, uh, looking at him as a running back, like a, a tailback exclusively is, is kind of my understanding. And, uh, I mean, in that new offense in New Caney, I mean, that's 80% of what he did based off what I've seen. So, yeah, I, I think would be a, a take as kind of a big back, and, and you, you, you kind of figure out how to what you wanted to do with him. But uh, he, he met with Coach DeLuke last night, uh, trying to get back in touch with him to see how that went or what he's heard. So, We'll kind of let you guys know as soon as we hear something on that and where that's going. But, uh, but yeah, I think those are kind of the new prospects to watch this week and uh, get a look at. So, I guess, finally, Matt, anything else before we get out of here? <laughs> no, man. Uh, just thanks again to, to Kelly yeah. for joining us. Yes. Uh, I know we said we would get to that. And then uh, I know that we're going to do some stuff for his site. And uh, we'll just kind of take any notes or anything that we gather from that back to our folks at Red Raider Sports. Uh, so, Uh, Thanks again for joining us, and I appreciate you uh, putting it all together, my man. 
Absolutely, man. As always, you guys have been listening to the Victory Bells podcast. I'm Will McKay. He's Matt Clare. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. See ya.